0: Uh, how many of you in here you've ever driven on the Schuylkill Expressway to Philadelphia? So, good job, most of us, right? So, two things about driving the Schuylkill Expressway. First thing, be careful. Why? Because people from New Jersey also drive on the Schuylkill Expressway. Uh, It couldn't possibly be anyone from Philadelphia who's the problem. And uh, my other piece of advice, if you're driving on the Schuylkill Expressway and about halfway from here to Philadelphia, and you look to your left-hand side, you'll see the Schuylkill River, which is not pretty in itself, uh, but you will see Boathouse Row. And Boathouse Row is a bunch of houses that are lit up beautifully at nighttime, where a lot of universities keep their crew boats, where they compete on the Schuylkill River. But if you were at Boathouse Row and you looked across the river, you would see Kelly Drive, which you, you can drive on. Uh, but you can also bike and walk on Kelly Drive. And so if you happen to find yourself biking or walking on Kelly Drive, look over to your right and you'll, or yeah, look over to your right and you'll see a big statue of a pilgrim holding a Bible. When you find the statue of the pilgrim holding the Bible, look for a little stream or spring that goes into the Schuylkill River, and then you'll see a path next to that. And then you go up the path up Sedgley Hill towards Brewery Town and when you get to the top you'll see the source of the spring it's kind of a well but a spring and it has these words whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. So if you know John chapter 4 right it comes from here it's not just a common sense saying everyone knows that but Jesus actually said this to a woman who he was meeting with at a well and he really was talking to her about the source of the water that she was looking for. Now you can drink the water from the spring because it's not from the Schuylkill River. Because right? if you drink Schuylkill River water, I don't know what's bad is going to happen, but something bad is going to happen to you. So don't drink the Schuylkill River water. If you're not from around here, number one tip, don't drink it. Um, but Jesus, he was talking to the woman at the well about the source of the water, and she was coming to get water to quench her thirst. But Jesus knew she had a greater thirst than that, and that was the thirst for satisfaction and he said, I have a water for you, but it's living water, and it always quenches your thirst for satisfaction. And so we're going to be looking at this story this morning. Before we get into it, I want you to know that um, living water will not only quench your thirst, but it also changes your life. So if you're taking notes, that's our, kind of our main idea here, that living water not only quenches your thirst, but also changes your life. And Jesus was using water as a metaphor to say what satisfies you. And we're going to see why he says that to her and what the end result is in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible this morning or an app, would you open that up and now follow along with us? We'll also have it up here on the screen, but I would encourage you to try to follow along. Take notes if you need to. Before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you for our opportunity to be here. And God, that I'm so reminded this morning that your presence is here with us, that we're not here just trying to. Uh, make you happy by being here, but that you're actually here because you love us and you're with us. And so I pray you would speak to us this morning, and I pray as John the Baptist said, and and as I want to say, God, that I may become less and you may become more, and God, that you may become more in our lives this morning. God, thanks for meeting with us. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Let's read John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So as you can see, I've underlined the word had because Jesus didn't had to go to Samaria. That's not proper English, but that's what the text says. He didn't have to go through Samaria. If you were a devout Jew, there were these people called the Samaritans, and we'll talk about them a little bit later, but but the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And so if you're in Judea trying to go to Galilee, you could go straight up through Samaria, but most devout Jews would kind of go around Samaria, and they'd have to cross over a river, but they didn't care to make it over to Galilee. So when Jesus had to go to Samaria... It was really in God's plan for him to go to Samaria so he could have this conversation with this woman. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob gave had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into town to buy food, so Jesus was kind of alone at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John tells us, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman is surprised that Jesus is asking for a drink from her for several reasons, and she wouldn't be the only person who's surprised. First of all, men during this time especially in Jewish culture, didn't talk to women in public, ever, not even their wives. So they just just didn't have conversations like that, that just wasn't okay. Then, she was a Samaritan. Samaritans, the Jewish people kind of call them half-breeds, they were foreigners who kind of intermixed with the Jews, and they kind of made up their own religion, which was kind of like Judaism, but a little bit different. And so there were some racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans. And then lastly, they were at a well, which you're like, okay, great, it happened at a well. Here's the problem. Wells in ancient times are like single bars now. Okay, so if you go, it's true, right? You just got to go back in the history. So, if you follow along in, in the heritage of the Jewish people, it went Abraham, then his son Isaac. Isaac meets his wife at a well. Isaac's son Jacob, where the 12 tribes came out, where did Jacob meet his wife? At a well. Then you go to Moses, one of the most prestigious figures in Judaism, where did he meet his wife? At a well. Right? Well's are like christianmingle.com. Jewishmingle.com. I don't know know what it was then. But Jesus wasn't there to try out his new pickup lines on this woman. That's not what he was there for, right? He was there because he knew she needed something more. And so when we read in verse 10, it says this. This is kind of Jesus' conversation with her after after she said, Why are you asking me? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is is kind of saying, Hey, I'm not talking about literal water anymore. I'm talking about a metaphorical water, but she's still not getting it. The woman said to him, Sir, give me water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband burned. <laughs> and then Jesus just rubs in a little more. He says, What you have said is quite true. So Jesus kind of calls her out here, but, he, but he's not doing it to be mean. Right? He's really doing it to make a point, because he's saying, You come here to get water, Just like you go to these men to get something else, to get satisfaction. And when she experiences living water, something's going to happen. And so here's our first point if you're taking notes. That living water changes your thirst. Living water changes your thirst. The reason Jesus said, go call your husband, is because he wanted to pinpoint something in her life. See, for someone to have five husbands right now in our culture, we think, yeah, there's something wrong there. But in ancient culture have been divorced five times was unheard of. So this woman, she came to the well. Jesus is hanging out there at noon. This is weird because most of the time women went to the wells either early in the morning or late in the evening when it was still cool outside. And they went in herds just like they do to the bathroom, right? So got some parallels there. Uh, but, but she's going by herself. And why is she by herself? Because she's ashamed, right? She's full of guilt, Everyone knows this woman's business. Everyone knows what she's done, and she doesn't want to feel them staring at her, and so so she goes when no one else is there. What was she looking for? She was looking for some kind of satisfaction in these husbands, these men. And we don't know if it's she, she needed a man in her life, and so that's why she always had someone, or she was looking for sexual pleasure, or she was looking for approval. We don't exactly know what it was, but Jesus is saying, you continually go to this well, just like you've continually gone to men over and over again, and it hasn't satisfied you. But I have something that will. And he says that's living water. See, there's a lot of us in this room who are running to wells to satisfy us, But in the end, it doesn't. Sometimes we run to the wells of comfort when we're stressed or bored or feeling empty and we try to fill it with something. Right? Like we fill it with distractions like Netflix. We fill it with food. Right? We fill it with pornography. We fill it with social media. Some of us are running to the wells of success and we say, if I could just be successful, then I would feel full. Then I would feel satisfied. Or if I could just make this much money then I would be good, or if my bank account would just be this, then I'll feel satisfied. Or if I could just find a husband or a wife, then my life will be complete. If I could just have kids, then, then I'll be complete. And we, and we look to all of these things, and they satisfy us for a little bit, but then leave us empty. See, Jesus said, I'm going to give you living water. And, and, and this is just my theory, but here's what I think living water, what he meant Living water is really about your relationship with God because way back in the beginning, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book, when, when man and women were created, they had a perfect relationship with God and everything was good. And then a few chapters later, we learned that, that people sinned and then the relationship with God was broken. And from that point in history on... We've all been looking for something to fill up that void in our life that can only be filled up with a relationship with God, that can only satisfy us that way. And Jesus is saying, I know how you can be satisfied and it's through me because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he he paid for our sins because a perfect God can't be in relationship with imperfect people. But when Jesus did that, he made a way for us to be in relationship with God to find the satisfaction that we're all looking for. And so he promises her living water. But what does she do? Right? She does probably what most of us would do when someone kind of puts their finger on the pain in our life or the shame in our life or the guilt. She's like, you know what, Let, let's change the subject for a second. I can obviously see that you're a prophet. And so she asks a theological question. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming and will come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth and the woman said i know the messiah called christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us so so let's stop every time this woman tries to bring a diversion what does jesus do he brings it back to the truth And he brings it back to what we really need. And and she's asking kind of questions about God. And he's answering them. He actually says, a time is coming. In in other translations, this really means the hour is coming when people will worship God in spirit and truth. And this idea of hour, every time Jesus says it in the book of John, it refers to his crucifixion. And so he's saying, hey, there's a time coming when it's not going to be about worshiping God here or there. Or trying to worship God in the temple. It's going to be worshiping God through a person. And that's me. Do you remember what we said? The part that's missing in all of us is that relationship with God. Verse 26, Jesus says something amazing. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Right In the the original text, there's no word he there. It's just I am, which is the same name God gave himself when he spoke to Moses. Moses said, "Who, who should I say sent me? Talking to God, and God said, I am. And Jesus is saying, I am. Because Jesus is God, and Jesus is what people really need. See, when Jesus reveals himself, when he reveals what happens, something changes in this woman. And we, and we don't get to see all of it. We can't see inside of her, but we see what happens. See, she puts down her water jar that, that she came to the well to fill, and then she runs into town, and here's what she says in verse 29. She tells all of the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be of the Messiah? So so what's happening here? I, I don't know if Jesus told her everything she ever did. It could be that we don't have the whole conversation, or it just could be because Jesus saw so deeply into her soul, that's how she felt. Remember the time the woman came to the well, 12 noon? She was trying to avoid everyone. What's she doing now? She's running into town to tell everyone that she's ever met, everyone she's tried to avoid, hey, listen, I met this guy, and you need to meet him too. You know what she's not holding on to anymore? Her guilt and her shame. Right? She doesn't care anymore. She just wants to tell people about this person because she's sensing that there's something from him that she needs. And there's something that's satisfying. You know what? Living water changes your thirst. It changed her thirst. She stopped being hungry for the earth, thirsty for the approval, for whatever she was looking for in men. She started to realize she could be satisfied. I don't know if you keep up with the news. Uh, I, I saw the news a couple days ago, and they were talking about this five-year-old and eight-year-old girls who were, uh, they were lost in the woods in California, in some rural part of California, for 44 hours. And finally, after 44 hours, some emergency personnel found them. And they kind of you know, they were malnourished and dehydrated, but they got them all set up. I saw a picture, they got a pizza. You know, like the girls looked like they were doing fine now. And so all the press, they asked, hey, how did you survive for 44 hours out in the woods? And the eight-year-old girl, she said, well, she said, we we found huckleberry leaves. And every huckleberry leaf that we found that had a drop of water, we would just kind of, you know, tip into our mouths to, to get that water. And they came back dehydrated, but they stayed alive enough. Imagine this, imagine if the girls were lost in the woods and they came upon this pump, like a pump that was wide open and there was clean water running through and and just going on the ground. But instead of drinking that, they went to find more leaves and just got one little sip, after one little sip, after one little sip. See, that's what it's like. When we see Jesus and we know He can satisfy us, and yet we run to these other wells and say, You know what, Jesus, I know you're there, but I'm I'm gonna try to find satisfaction in this thing, or this thing, or this thing. And isn't that what we do sometimes? We're just running to all of these other things to, to help us find what we need to fill that emptiness up. When Jesus is here offering us ultimate satisfaction. See, the woman found that source of living water and it quenched her thirst. See, when you find living water, it not only quenches your thirst, but it changes a lot of other things in your life. See, if you, if you find satisfaction, now what you live for changes and that's what we're going to see in this next part. We're going to see that the woman, she, she went and she told all the people in the village and then Jesus' guys come back And they're going to talk to Jesus, and and Jesus is going to tell them about their purpose. So, verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat, you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of the one, of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Now, the disciples, right? It wasn't literal, it was metaphorical again, but they needed to catch on. Jesus said his food was to to do the will of the one who sent him, which was basically to help bring people back in relationship with God. See, some of us, we think about Christianity, and we think the goal of Christianity is to get to heaven. Like, yep, I follow Jesus, he forgives my sins, I get to heaven. See, that's not right. The goal of Christianity is to be in relationship with God. And when you go to heaven for eternity... What are you doing? You're spending time in a relationship with God. We know as Christians, we need Jesus to forgive our sins. Why do we need Jesus to forgive our sins? So we can be in relationship with God. See, our goal isn't to get to be someplace. It's to get to be with someone. Right? And that's to be with God. And so Jesus was saying, Man, I'm hungry. This is what I want to do. I want to help people get back into this relationship. And so when you taste living water, your mission becomes the same as Jesus, and living water changes your hunger. The idea of hunger here is kind of what drives you. For Jesus, it was helping people come into a relationship with God. When you find satisfaction in Jesus, you no longer have to hunger after self-comfort. You no longer have to hunger after becoming wealthy or finding approval or getting power, right? Now your hunger can be to share the good news that you've heard and you've understand and it's changed your life with other people. Jesus lays it out for his disciples in the next verses. And we don't have time to explain every little detail of this, but we'll kind of give you an overview. Verse 35, Jesus is saying to his guys, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor to say, hey, you plant a seed and then you got to wait some time and then it, it blossoms, right? But he's saying it's, it's not that way with following, with, with helping people come to know Jesus now because other people have already been planting and other people have already been watering and now it's time for people to come to know me and put their faith and their trust in me. And he says one person's a sower, one person's a reaper, basically one person plants Other people water and then other people get to be there and people make a commitment to know Jesus and and they believe in Jesus and put their trust in him and their lives are changed. And he's saying all of you, all of you disciples and, and all of us have a responsibility to be part of that process. Not just responsibility, but it's actually our purpose. right? So I'm not saying you should quit your job and stop being a parent and stop being a husband or wife. No, no, no. It's in the midst of doing all of that that you share about Jesus' love and his care and his good news. And we all do it in slightly different ways. So in our Discover class that we had during our first service, we tell people about the six, six different evangelism styles that, that we kind of see. The first one is confrontational, people who are very kind of upfront and just say, hey, do you know Jesus yet? You need to know him. The second one is intellectual, people who have intellectual arguments or conversations. The third one is testimonial. The fourth one is interpersonal, kind of about relationships. The fifth is invitational inviting. The sixth one is serving. And so we all get to do this differently, but we all get to take, take part in the process. Right, so, so Jesus, he says, listen, the fields are ripe or white, meaning people are ready to hear about Jesus. And you know what one of my issues is? I don't know if this is your issue, but one of my issues is, I say no for people before they say no for themselves. Like when I'm thinking about sharing about Jesus, I'm just kind of like, you know what? They probably don't want to hear about Jesus or they're probably not ready or maybe they'll get offended and and it's kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to share about Jesus now. They're probably just going to say no before I give them the opportunity to say no for themselves. See, yesterday I was talking with someone from our church and they were telling me that they They went to church when they were young, but some things happened, and and they stopped going to church and just kind of didn't feel like God would love them or care for them or they were doing the right things, and so they weren't really serving Jesus. And then a few years later, they said they were driving in the car, and God spoke to them and said, you should go to church. And so they thought, I should go to church. And so they went home and they, and they told their boyfriend, hey, do you want to go to church? And they're like, no, not really. And so they didn't go to church, right? And they didn't go to church for years until someone from our church that they had known through a relationship finally invited them. And they came and they tasted the living water of Jesus. And do you know what happened? They brought their brothers to church and they invited more people to experience the living water of Jesus But what if someone had said something to them that next week or that next month or that next year? They were ready to come to church. They were ready to meet with Jesus, to reconnect with them, but no one told them yet. See, let's stop saying no for people before they say no for themselves. See, this isn't just something that we should do. It's not we should share about Jesus with people it's something that happens naturally when you find the satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Like it just changes your purpose. And we see that in the, in the woman. What did the woman do after she met Jesus? She put down her water jar and she ran into town and she started telling people about Jesus. In verse 29, we'll read it again. It says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then verse 30, it's not up there, but it says, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Like people were just coming to Jesus. And then after Jesus is done talking to those guys, telling them about the harvest, in verse 39, it says something about what happened. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This woman's testimony, right, was just this simple conversation that she had with Jesus, but she wanted other people to know. Do you know what's interesting? She says, come see. In the very first chapter of John, if you remember in the beginning of our series, people come up to Jesus, and do you know what he says? Come see. And then one of his disciples Is going after another disciple, and what does he say? Come and see. And what are we supposed to do? We're inviting people to come and see. Come and experience Jesus. Come and see the work that he's done in my life. Come and see what he's still doing. Come and see the work that he's done in other people's life. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. Right? Our job is not supposed to be to sell Jesus to someone, right? We're not salesmen. Our job is to point people to Jesus so they can experience Jesus for themselves. Right? You don't save anyone. You don't get anyone saved. Jesus does it. But it's our job and our privilege to invite people to come and see. Oftentimes, the word God or Jesus or Holy Spirit, right? those words are on our lips when we come to church on a Sunday and when we're in our connection groups but you know what? Talking about God and Jesus should be something that's done at our dinner table with our family, when we're talking to our coworkers at work, when, when we're talking with our friends, when we're talking about the tough things that are going on in our lives and how God's at work in them. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it feels awkward to talk about God with people who don't know God, right? Like, let's just be honest. It can feel awkward that way, but you know what? Over the years, God's been helping me share about him. So I was, uh, I was at dance class last week. I was not dancing. Uh, I am not in dance class, but I was at my daughter's dance class, and uh, I was talking with someone there who was introduced to me by, by a mutual friend of ours, and I was telling her all about how God, God allowed my wife and I to, to adopt a child, and, and just talking about God's role and, and how God kind of put that in place. And do you know what? When you first start having the conversation and God's a part of it, like, it's, a, it's a little awkward, but when they see that God and Jesus are a part of your life, you're helping them come and see and experience Jesus. And so let's not be people who only talk about God when we're in church or doing church things, but that He's part of our life Everywhere. See, it's not only our purpose, but it's actually an urgent purpose. And so I've shared this story one time before, but I'll share it again. Uh, Penn, who's from Penn & Teller, maybe you've heard of them or seen them, he's kind of a, a comedian slash magician and a very outspoken atheist. And so he, he had a few shows, and a guy came up, and I think the guy had come to more than one show, and the guy came up to him afterwards, he said, hey, you did a great job, I really loved your show, you're so talented. He's like, and I know you don't, like God or think God is real but I want to tell you about Jesus and so he he told Penn about Jesus and I don't know how their conversation ended I think Penn was kind of like hey thanks for telling me I still don't believe all of that but but after their interaction Penn posted a video he's kind of just thinking about he said you know what I really respect this guy Because if he said, if I was standing in the middle of the road and I was looking this way and he said an 18-wheeler was down the road but it was heading right towards me and you were standing on the side of the road just watching it and you never said anything or did anything, what kind of a person would that make you? See, even though he doesn't believe in God, he respected that guy because that guy thought that he was destined to suffer the rest of his life without God in hell for eternity. And he said, man, that guy must really care about me because he wanted to tell me about Jesus. See, there's an urgency for our purpose to share about Jesus because people are going to die without knowing God, without having the relationship. And so if you have tasted the satisfaction of knowing Jesus, then it's kind of natural after that that you want to share about him. And listen, when that happens, something else changes. See, living water, the last thing we're going to learn is it changes your legacy. It changes your legacy. So I I want us for a moment just to to put ourselves in the the woman at the well's shoes. Okay, And, and let's just say Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria and he decided that he would go around instead like most of the good Jews during that time. What would the rest of her life look like? Well... She had five husbands. Then she was with this other guy. And maybe he would do what all the other husbands did and kind of throw her out and say, like, I don't want you anymore. Maybe she'd try to find someone else and someone else and someone else to satisfy that longing in her life. And at the end of her life, she would be an outcast, not having friends, not having family, and dying as a widow. And that would be the end of her story. But that wasn't the end of her story. We actually get to see what started to happen as the end of her story. If we go and read in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She left her water jar. She runs into town and she tells people and then they believe. And you know, I love what they say. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. What does that mean? That they did believe because of what she said, that they found the living water of Jesus Christ because of her. And now what's her legacy? Her legacy is no longer being known as the woman who has five husbands, who sleeps around, who's kind of the lowest of the low. Now her legacy is she's the woman who told us about Jesus. She's the woman who helped our lives change because she introduced us to him. And do you know what? There were great, 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 great grandsons and granddaughters who knew about Jesus and followed Jesus. Because of what this one woman did. And that was her legacy. See, your legacy is never going to be about how hard you worked, how much you accomplished, how much money you made, or how successful you were. When you go to a funeral and people talk about the person, those aren't the things they bring up. The things they bring up are about how this person loved me, or cared for me, or showed me what it was like to be a loving person. See, your legacy is about people. And when you follow after Jesus, you'll have a legacy of people being changed by Jesus. And listen, you'll have a different role, and it might look different from, from what I do or from what some other people do. But that'll be part of your legacy. And maybe you're thinking about your legacy right now. Maybe you're starting to feel guilt, saying, I haven't done enough. Or I haven't talked to enough people. I've been too fearful. Or I haven't been bold. And here's what I'd say. The way you leave a godly legacy is not by just trying to share with people about Jesus. See, that's a part of it. But that's not the whole thing. And this will be comforting because Jesus talked to his disciples in John chapter 15 and you'll see why this is part of a legacy. And here's what he said in John 15:5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the only way you are going to leave a legacy is to be connected to Jesus. And so he used this illustration. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Like you get your source of life. And he said, if you stay connected, if you remain in me, what will happen? You will bear much fruit. He didn't say you might. He didn't say you could. He didn't say if you you get the right knowledge or you get the right training, you'll bear much fruit. No, he said, well, how do you bear fruit? When you remain in me, when you stay connected to me. He said the natural outpouring of that is that people are going to believe in me. And people are going to receive my love, and people will be changed because you stayed close, because you stayed connected. He didn't say fix yourself. He didn't say you. What you need to do is kind of get yourself motivated and riled up, and go tell someone about me. What do he say? Stay connected to me, and, and when you experience God's love. I just sense that he's pouring out his love into some of your hearts right now. When you experience the love of God, then you can't help but want other people to experience it. See, all of us, we want to be known and we want to be loved. But you know what's not fun? Being known and not loved. Having people judge you. And you know what's not awesome? Being loved but not being known because then it doesn't really make a difference. They don't really love you for who you are. They just kind of, they're saying they love you. But do you know what God does? He knows you and he loves you. That's what our deepest desire is. That's what it was like in the very beginning when God was in relationship with people that they were known and loved. And that's what our desire is. And when you know that that's true, then you can love others. And what happens when you love others? Your legacy changes. And you stop using people to try to bolster yourself or bolster your life. And you start loving them instead. And things begin to change. And people are in this room because someone loved them and cared for them. And this room is going to be filled week after week because you're going to love people and serve them and want them to know Jesus and the way you do that is by being connected to him. See, maybe this isn't true about you, but it's true about me. This woman's story at the well, her story is my story. Right, that I was unworthy. That I had lots of broken things in my life, but what happened? Jesus came and he said, I want to offer you a free gift. And it was living water and it was Satisfaction. And it changed my life. And do you know what? I'm not perfect. And I don't always run to him for satisfaction, but I need to. But I know that he has that for me. And I know that he loves me. And this morning, if you're in here, maybe you came and, and you know what you need, but you're not ready to surrender your life to Jesus yet. Here's what I'd say. That's the same as the woman at the well. Well, Jesus kind of put his, his finger on her pain or emptiness or brokenness. And she said, let's talk about this instead. And let's talk about this. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, nope. What you really need is me. And so this morning, if you're here and you would say you're, you're not following Jesus yet. And there's been emptiness and you've been running to places that haven't fully satisfied you. Today is the day where you can surrender your life to Jesus and find the living water that comes only from him. And if you want to do that this morning, you can. And all you need to do is start it off with a prayer and just say, Jesus, I'm thankful that you're here with me and that you want me to come to know you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Help me to live my life for you. That's how, part of how you start a relationship and he changes you and makes you new and you can do that this morning. See, maybe your story is Jesus met you and you found satisfaction but you need to keep going back to the well and you need to keep finding satisfaction. That's why we're here this morning. That's why I'm talking this morning to point you to Jesus, to point myself to Jesus to say he's what I really need and what I really long for. And, and here's the great news. When you go all in there, then you can help other people also find Jesus and it changes your legacy. And so to end this morning by giving us a moment to think about a few questions. Here's the first question what well are you running to or what wells are you running to? Where are you looking for satisfaction apart from Jesus? Where are you seeing him but then running to the little leaves and getting the droplets and saying this is good enough and this is what I really need when he's what you really need? Secondly, what will your legacy be? What are you running towards? What are you hungry for? That'll determine your legacy. So I'm gonna pause and allow us just to meditate for a moment. And then I'm gonna invite our prayer partners up if anyone needs to, for prayer for anything they can pray. But let's take a moment and we'll ask God to speak to us. God, as we are here, we're in your presence, that you're with us. I pray that we'd help us to see how beautiful and amazing and awesome Jesus is and all that Jesus did for us. God, we would see that beautiful thing and find our satisfaction there. God, help us to see the emptiness of the wells that we're running to and their inability to actually satisfy us. We ask that you'd help us stay connected to you so that we can bear fruit. God, help us to to know the difference between what's good and what's best because you are the best. We love you this morning, Jesus. We thank you. Pray that you'd be with us in your name. Amen.